The following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Our reading this evening is taken from John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. I'll give you a minute to find that in your own Bible. That's John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words whilst teaching in the temple area, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his time had not yet come. Well, good evening, everyone. It is great to be joining you all from my house here in Durham. If I'm an unfamiliar face to any of you, please let me add my welcome to that of Aaron's. My name is Tom, and I have the privilege to work on the staff team here at St Nick's, as well as the even greater privilege to be unpacking God's word with you all this evening. Thank you so much, Abby, for reading the passage to us. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you that you are here with us by your spirit this evening. And we ask for your spirit's help as we look at your word together. Help us to place our lives and our trust in your son, our living saviour and our life-giving God. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Now I wanted to start tonight, guys, with a story, a story of mine from when I was eight years old. It was a normal day at primary school. I was probably sat somewhere daydreaming away. And my teacher, a kind of scary lady called Mrs. Shaw, told me to go into the cupboard just outside the classroom and pick up some more exercise books. From the way I saw it, it was an excuse to have a one-minute break. So little old Tom eagerly toddled off, 
opened the cupboard door, rushed inside, and before picking up the stack of exercise books, felt the door close in behind me. Pitch darkness. I don't know if you've been in a situation like this before. When it's so dark, you lose all sense of how big the room you're in is. Too scared to reach out your hands in case you hit something. It's safe to say I was petrified. I couldn't find the light switch, I couldn't find the door, and I felt like at any moment all the exercise books and the pencils and those weird stacks of green paper towels every primary school had would probably topple onto me at any moment. It was, up to that point, the scariest moment of my life. I didn't know what to do. Now I hope at this point you're creeping forward in your seats, wondering what happened to little old Tom in that little old cupboard. Well, I can tell you that in the midst of all that fear, in all that panic, I suddenly noticed a tiny beam of light pushing through the tiny keyhole in the door. And I remembered a song that I'd sung at the previous Sunday at church. The little old classic, Shine, Jesus, Shine. I won't attempt to outdo Sam here by singing it to you, but I hope you can picture the scene nonetheless. A locked dark cupboard with a scared eight-year-old boy inside, singing Shine, Jesus, Shine at the top of his lungs. It hadn't actually crossed my mind to simply shout for help, but my singing sure enough got the attention of Mrs Shaw, and I was rescued minutes later. All was well. Now, I didn't share this story with you all this evening because I wanted to embarrass myself or make you all perform that pantomime-style R into your computer or TV screens. But instead, to share with you all a story that teaches us a well-known but powerful truth. In dark places, in dark times, in dark moments, in dark nights, in dark cupboards, we all need that one source of light. Light is good. Light is safe. Light reveals. And light transforms. Even a keyhole shaped size of it was enough to give an eight-year-old Tom a source of comfort. And my bet is that we've all had similar moments too. A panic in the middle of the night when you wake up hearing a strange noise and struggle to switch on the light to see what's happening. Walking back along the unlit river banks of Durham, using your phone as a torch to check where the path leads. Switching on your car's headlamps even, as the night closes in. The presence of light in our lives is so basic, so everyday, so human, we cling to it. We make objects that emit it, and we structure our days around it. I mean, we're meeting here now in the evening at the end of the day, because the end of the day is when the light begins to fade. The presence of light defining our human lives. But light is also something we find hard to grasp, to control. It's ethereal, intangible. It's just there. And when it's not there, we notice the presence of light pointing to something beyond. And so it is no mistake, friends, 
that in our passage of scripture this evening, Jesus uses this reality of light as a human experience, but also cosmically ethereal substance to claim himself not just as man, but as God, as God incarnate, as God dwelling with humanity, as light of the world. And it's that two-part claim, that claim of Jesus to be God, to be light, but also to be man, to be in the world, that I want to explore with you all tonight. Sound good? Well, let's start by focusing just on that first verse, verse 12 together. Maybe you're sitting at home wondering to yourself, yeah, 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 Tom, I get all this. I know that we symbolise Jesus with light. What's the big deal? And you know what? You're kind of right. Jesus as light is such a common symbol within the Christian church and Christian tradition. Think of Advent, lighting candles to symbolise the coming birth of Jesus. Easter, where a single lit flame marks that most glorious resurrection morning, light as a symbol of new life in darkness. And Pentecost, where the coming of the Holy Spirit is described in the Bible and the book of Acts as tongues of light and fire. All these celebrations and more point us and keep light as a central symbol within the Christian church that Christians can understand and relate to God as someone who is present, holy and life-giving. And that's fantastic. It makes my job way easier. But perhaps in many ways it is this normal, repeated use of light as a common description of God that can make us sometimes forget how radical in fact it was for Jesus to describe himself as the I am, the light of the world. Why, you may ask? Because just as Christians uncontroversially describe God through descriptions of light, so much of that understanding has actually been built on what the Jews and the Pharisees to whom Jesus is speaking to in our passage believed themselves. Jesus claiming to be light was Jesus claiming to be divine. Look with me if you can to Genesis 1 verse 3 among the most famous verses in scripture and God said let there be light and there was light. The first act of God in creation was to make light in the world. What about Exodus thirty-four twenty-nine? And Moses did not know that his face was shining with light because he'd been in the presence of God. This happens to be one of my favourite passages in the book of Exodus. That from Moses spending time with God on Mount Sinai, he literally bears some of God's own likeness, some of God's own light so that the rest of the Israelites can't look at him directly, in fear and in awe that he's been with God. And finally, what about the annoyingly long Psalm 119, where the psalmist sings in verse 130, the unfolding of your word gives light. You know, the Old Testament alone contains over 160 references to God as light. 
so much so that John Pauliowski, who's a biblical scholar, writes that the Jewish scriptures, the Torah and the rest of the writings use light as the primary symbol of God's divine nature and character. From the Psalms to the stories of the Exodus and the promise of the coming of the Messiah, the people walking in darkness have seen a great, you guessed it, light. This is how God is known to his people. The light displays his power, his sovereignty. Think of the pillar of fire in Exodus protecting the Israelites from the Egyptian army. It displays his gifting and his blessing. We'll hear from Aaron later the beautiful words of the ironic blessing from Numbers later on, and its image of God's face shining upon each of us. And it also displays God's love and grace. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Light is good. Light is safe. And all this is why that second of Jesus's I am sayings in John's Gospel here is among the most radical. And the reason why, in verses 13 to 20 of our passage, the Pharisees take issue. They call Jesus out as a straight up liar. They question who his father is in verse 19, why? Because as J. Michael Ramsey puts it, they are astounded that Jesus is relating himself to the Father God Almighty. In our passage, therefore, as echoes throughout scripture, Jesus is claiming to be not just any old God or any old place, but the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of the cosmos, the God of the past, the God of today. And all that God was and all that he is, is dwelling in the person of Jesus. He is light of the world, for he is Emmanuel, God with us. So what in our second part of Jesus's claim in verse 12 does he mean when he says that he is this light of the world? I was doing a bit of delving into physics earlier this week, which is not my usual territory. And it dawned on me that because light is this intangible, almost indescribable thing, we can actually only see light by what it touches, by what it affects, and by what reflects it back into our eyes. If you light a tiny candle in a dark room, for instance, the light from the candle will completely change what you can see. Light reveals and light transforms. The Oxford Dictionary puts it like this. Light is something that makes something else visible. And I think there's no better description than that to describe how Jesus as light seeks to not only make the love and character of God visible to us all, but to transform the world by it. If you want to see an example of that, we actually need only look to the first 11 verses that precede our passage today. I know that these verses are sometimes treated cautiously because they weren't around in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible that scholars have. But nonetheless, they're telling of the famous story of the woman caught in adultery and their proximity right next to our passage. 
suggests that Jesus might have said, I am the light of the world, in light of, in response to, what his encounter with this woman has shown. You see, in verses 1 to 11, you might want to have a look at it. We see Jesus being asked to condemn this woman who's been caught in adultery. The Pharisees publicly and unjustly shame her. The man she was with is never in trouble. They show no fairness, care or attention. Instead, trying to catch Jesus out in a complex legal net of the Torah. And the woman is left silent. Can you imagine what she might be feeling? Alone, scared, humiliated, trapped. A dark, dark place in sight of many. But what Jesus does here is remarkable. He defends and protects the woman by revealing the hypocrisy of the, of the Pharisees. And after they leave with embarrassment, he shows the woman the love and the mercy only God can perform. He doesn't condemn her or judge her. He shows her a way out, a path out of her old life and into a new one. And this is Jesus as light of the world, revealing and transforming, shining into the dark places of her life with divine mercy and grace, up close and personal, and then offering her transformation by pointing towards the Father's love. So I think that's why he goes on then to radically call himself light of the world in verse 12, to claim his divinity and his relationship with the Father, because Jesus is the only way our world can see the love of God for itself. And that makes this and the other I am sayings in John's Gospel that we're going to explore together over the next few weeks of serious and profound importance. They're much more than nice, cute, fun ways to describe Jesus. The I am statements are statements that define Jesus's divinity, that define who God is, how we can know him and how much he loves us. And we've seen today from the Old Testament that it's a divinity that is heavenly, majestic, full of splendour, full of light, but also a divinity in Jesus that is prepared to sacrifice that heavenly home, that majesty and that splendour, to get up close and personal with the messiness of our lives, to be nailed onto that cross, to die for our sins and to cover the world in darkness, only then to be resurrected with a sunrise on Easter morning in order to show us his eternal love and to make a way for us to come back to him. This is our God and he is light of the world. So, what do we make of all this? Our passage this evening reminds us firstly that Jesus is God. And because of Jesus, we can know the Father closely. He is light and all that that brings. But he's also light of the world. 
And so let's not presume that God's light is a light that's meant for our eyes only. Jesus is calling people to follow him, and to follow him is to, as our passage says, to have the light of life, his light, making our love of him visible for all to see. There are so many people who need to know how much God loves them today. And as a church and as individuals, what a privilege we have to share in that building of God's kingdom. Look and see where you could make the love of God visible to those around you, maybe with your neighbours, maybe supporting local businesses, maybe just giving a stranger a welcoming smile. We've started up again Alpha and Healing on the Streets at St Nick's these past weeks. Maybe you could think about joining us, showing and telling the people of Durham that Jesus is alive and that he wants a personal and lifelong relationship with them. For our passage this evening reminds us that Jesus is not in the business of walking out of our lives or our world when darkness draws near. He's not in the business of abandoning you or judging you or making you feel alone or unworthy. Jesus is light. Light is good. And he wants to shine his goodness into your life today to remind you that you are held in his hands and that because of his sacrifice for you on the cross, the Father sees you as one of his own. Maybe just to hear that is enough for you at the moment and that's great. Or maybe you can wonder what difference it makes to know that the light that surrounds you every day and in everyday tasks, as well as prayer and reading the Bible, is the light of God himself. How can you share that with others? Or maybe you're feeling like you're in a kind of dark place at the moment, big or small, maybe feeling trapped or alone, struggling with something in particular, feeling anxious and fearful in this pandemic perhaps, waiting or expecting that things are about to topple all over you. I want to encourage you all that Jesus is wanting to shine into that situation as only he can do to bring you peace and to remind you that he is always present, always there, right by your side. Light is safe. And that may not get rid of all the darkness straight away. It's an everyday joy to draw close to him. But just as our God is a God who lit the cosmos into being, he is also a God who used a tiny keyhole-shaped beam of light to remind an eight-year-old boy stuck in a cupboard that he wasn't alone. We can trust in him with everything. We can come before him in prayer with all our mess and with all that stuff we want to hide in the dark. Jesus wants to shine into the middle of all that, to uncover what's going on deep down and to work through his Holy Spirit to make us more like him. Light reveals, light transforms. 
What will you let Jesus transform today? For as it says in Micah 7 verse 8, and I end with this, Though I may dwell in dark places, the Lord is a light for me. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him, following his way and inviting his spirit to make us new, that we may forever proclaim that he, that Jesus, is light of the world. Shine, Jesus, shine. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.